What it do, baby? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's your boy, Big Zoo, a.k.a. at our Zooming right here. And you know what it is. It's time to hit a little time to Jets on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, wherever it is that you happen to be listening right now. Hit it up with that subscribe. Leave that five-star rating. You know we love that. It puts the food in my man Duke's bowl. It keeps my lights on. That's all I need, man. Please leave one of those if you're gracious enough to do so. And, of course, if you got anything on this Jets team, man, after getting oof, that little game on Indy, we have a day here. We have a Sunday where we don't have to worry about taking L's. Hit me up on the Twitter machine at Zubeard77. Let me know what you guys are thinking coming off of a day where you didn't have to uh, sit and watch the Jets at 1 o'clock taking L. Let me know how you feel. Let me know what you think going into the Bills after that. Ugh. Terrible Bills performance this week. I'm a little scared right now. I'm not going to lie, but that's that's something for next weekend because today, today, I got something special for you. I got my boy from WFAN, my man, a guy who I am very, very familiar with, a man who trained me to do what I do right now, actually. So without further ado, I would like to bring in my boy, Mike Fliegelman, Fliggy Baby. How we doing, brother? What's up, Big Zoo? Always fun talking to you. Always fun talking Jets with you. And I'm pumped for this. You're doing great work with the podcast. Love listening to it. And I'm happy that you asked me to join. Let's let's do it. Hell yeah, bro. Anytime, man. You know you're welcome here. And the fan, the fan fam is always on here. So I, I love I love having you around, bro. But yeah, let's get into it, man. In case you guys are unaware if you didn't read the description or the title of the episode, I will let you know right now. It is a little bit of a graded episode. We're about halfway through the season, so I think it's about time that we can uh, start to really put some true grades, some true letters onto what we're seeing from this team so far, position group by position group. And then overall, and I mean, we can't let Joe Douglas get off the hook here either, right? We got we to put him on the mark. So... We'll get into it throughout the course of the episode. We're going to start out, though, first, Fleegs. Let's go to the offensive side of the ball. I want to start with Mike LaFleur, who, I mean, just to break it down, this dude started out the year with every single person in the Jets' world criticizing him for how poor of his play play decision-making was. Yeah, play decision-making. Play calling was. I'm sorry about that, but whatever. Uh, (laughs) His play calling has been terrible. In the beginning of the year, all of a sudden clicks once Zach Wilson goes out. And this offense looks really good. So, I mean, it's really hard to grade LaFleur. But if you put him on a curve, where are you putting him at, Fleeks? How you feel about LaFleur's first half of the first season? I'm giving LaFleur one of my highest grades. And, again, not a lot of guys with the Jets are going to deserve high grades. I'm giving him an A- minus just because, one, maybe a little bit higher than it would be. But just as, as we are as lifelong Jets fans, I've hated every Jets offensive coordinator they've had pretty much in my entire life and wanted them run out of town after a few games. And after two or three games, I thought that was going to be the same deal with LaFleur, right? The Panthers game, offense didn't look good. We didn't like the play calling. Patriot game, maybe the rest of the offense looked better, but Zach Wilson was a disaster. And then the Broncos game, complete no-show from everybody. So after week three, you're really worried about LaFleur. But after that, I started watching these games and kind of seeing, and especially once Game Pass got their tape situation fixed and you were able to go back and watch the tape, looking at these plays, especially the second time, I'm looking there and saying, nah, you know what? A lot of these plays are there. The quarterback's not making them, but the offensive system seems to be in place. The plays are there. So I can't really blame LaFleur for that. 
And then you saw as soon as Mike White took over for Zach Wilson, and then even when Josh Johnson came in the other night, this offense and this offensive system, it works. If the guy under center knows how to run it and knows where to go with the football, gets rid of it quickly, makes the right decisions. So I've been very happy with Michael Floor over the last five or six weeks. And it's surprising to me because, again, it's any Jets offensive coordinator, and he didn't get off to a good start. But from what I've seen the last few weeks, my thing with the offense is, yeah, this system works. The quarterback, who's going to be their quarterback of the future, just has to figure out how to take advantage of the plays that are right there for him and the open receivers that are standing there just waiting for him to deliver the football. Yeah, I mean, and isn't that a scary, scary thought to have? And we're not talking QBs just yet. But when you look at how Mike LaFleur and this offense looked up until Mike White came in two weeks back, we were we oh, were, dude, talking, like, after we were seriously on Mike LaFleur's case. After that second Patriots game, everybody's crushing him. And again, the, the slow starts are something that you'd like to see them change. But in the Falcons game and in the second Patriots game, again, the plays were there. Zach Wilson just wasn't making them. So I can't pin that on the offensive coordinator. I can, you know, the offense as a whole can take a grade because of the performance, but who's the offensive coordinator. I mean, he's a coach. He's calling plays. The best thing he can do is call the play and then it's up to the players to execute. So if I'm just grading the floor, I think he's done his job of calling mostly the right plays and putting the players in a position to succeed. And then whether or not they do is up to them, but you're seeing them be a little more creative than we've seen from Jets teams in the past. And they've started to get Elijah more involved in the offense uh, ever since Zach Wilson went down. That's something you love to see. So the offensive coordinator, again, maybe I'm just a little too giddy because I've never been encouraged by a Jets offense. I mean, it's been a long time. It's been maybe like 20 years. It's been a very long time since you liked what you saw from a Jets offense consistently. I think the system is actually there. I think the coordinator knows what he's doing. No, I I actually agree with you 100% on that because these last two weeks have really been the place where I've seen LaFleur and been like, okay, this dude knows what he's doing. He knows how to run an offense. He's just working with a guy who literally is not giving him anything at that position in terms of what he's looking for. So it's been a complete and utter like disaster for those first couple of weeks. So that is what it is. And I mean, damn, when you're putting up 30 plus, Back-to-back weeks, like, really moving the ball up and down the field. It's a flex. And the dude is out here doing his thing. And it, you gave him an A-minus, correct? A-minus. I'm going to go. I'm going to go a little bit a little bit more tame just because those first couple of weeks and the not scoring early really, uh, you know, it jaded me a little bit. So I'm leaving him at a B, which I think is solid because earlier in the year, if you would have asked me, I would have given him a D minus and an F, and I would have been like, Oh, yeah. If you asked us at the end of up. September, we would have said, This guy's a D. This is another failed hiring. Disaster. Looking for a new guy in the offseason. Yep, exactly. And it would have been a disaster. It would have felt like a disaster because that's in that moment, that's what it was. But now you look at the team, you look at them with guys who, I mean, and it's crazy to say, but Mike White can run this offense significantly better than Zach Wilson. And when you have him in there, it looks pretty good. And even Josh Johnson. To Josh Johnson, which is, again, it doesn't say good things about Wilson right now. <laughs> Maybe not to overreact. He's a rookie. He's a baby yep. in the NFL. But Mike White showed you right as soon as he came in that this offense works, the system works, the plays are there, the quarterback just has to know what to do. Absolutely, absolutely. And we're going to hit on those quarterbacks in just a little bit. But, you know, 
another position that's been a little bit, I don't want to say a little bit, has been very shaky or a position group that's been very shaky to start the year and a position group where we have been giving them, you know, no slack kind of the same way that we were with uh, Mike LaFleur early on. And that's the offensive line, which, eek. I mean, bro, this, this group, I don't know what the heck Joe Douglas saw in these guys coming into the season that made him think that this was the group of five starters on that line that he wanted to go to battle with. But he saw something, and I, I'm sitting here seven games into the year still trying to figure out what it was, bro, because I, I, I'm just – I'm lost. You know, it's weird with the offensive line because it's been a really mixed bag. And I know we're going to get to Douglas later, so I'll hit on what I think were some of his worst moves, which will connect to offensive line. But some of the best are in there too. Like after the first game or his first game, Elijah Vera Tucker has looked really good at left guard. George Fant has been a really good left tackle stepping in for Makai Becton. Morgan Moses has been solid. Van Roten and McGovern have been absolute disasters. Disaster. But the offensive line, again, it's been up and down. It started off really slow. But that's another thing where I have to look at the offense as a whole and the quarterback situation, and it affects my grade, where I would have graded them much lower if you asked me a couple weeks ago. Now I'm putting them kind of in that B minus C plus range. Wow. Just because, well, with Mike White as the quarterback who's getting rid of the ball quickly and, again, knows what to do within the offense, the offensive line – has looked a lot better. I think they can be a little bit better in the run game, but the pass protection without Zach Wilson standing in the pocket and taking forever to make his decisions, the offensive line has looked a lot better and they're playing without their best player. I'm not going to let one bad half of football in the opening week make me pretend that last year didn't happen from a Cod Becton guy's a good player. And I can't wait to see how the jets offensive line and offense looks when he's back on the field and then you can kick Fant back over to right tackle. Because, again, George Fant has been much better than any of us have ever expected. So if we're going to crush Joe Douglas for some of the offensive line moves, which we will later on, Absolutely. I have to give him credit for George Fant because Fant has been really good. No, without a doubt. I mean, when Becton goes down early on, I, I, I know I'm thinking to myself, dude, Fant, oh, God, I'm going to have to watch him be a turnstile left tackle now, and who knows what Moses is. But, right, well, you're panicking. Remember, week one, we're already down uh, Carl Lawson. Yeah. Then you go back in and you think, well, that's it. Maybe those might be the two most important players on the team, yeah. other than the fact that you want to watch Zach Wilson. And, of course, he later gets hurt too. But <laughs> for the actual success of the team in that moment, you would have said their two most important players were Lawson and Becton coming into the year. And yeah, then you're halfway through week one against the Panthers, and all of a sudden both are gone. So I'm happy <laughs> that Becton's not out for the year. And I'm very excited to see how he comes back and reintegrates himself into this offense. I mean, he's he's got to play better than he had been. I know he had a rough training camp, but I'm not giving up on the kid after a couple of months where he struggled because last year did happen. I can still remember him mauling guys and him being a very good left tackle and showing you that he had all the potential to be a great one moving forward. I want to see what he looks like for a couple of games next to Elijah Vera Tucker. I want to see the two of them together on the left side. And thankfully, we're going to get to see that soon. Yeah, that's going to be the future over there, man. You got two bo big boys who can just maul people up and down the field. You just got to get them used to it, and you got to get them working in the system. That's really all it comes down to. And for Becton, it sucks that he missed this time because this would have been great just learning experience, getting out there. Again, he's young, so you need him to get these reps right now. And 
honestly, though, when you hear everything about, you know, hey, he's out of shape or he's not figuring out the plays, whatever the reasoning is that the coaches were looking at him, you know, kind of cockeyed during a training camp, you know, he had time now to digest, get himself into the right mental place and kind of show himself, okay, this is what I need to be. So hopefully you are right. He comes back, you know, ground running because, I mean, that's that's exactly what this line needs. You move fan over to right tackle next year, and you're looking at as you could be looking at a really good offensive line if you get rid of Van Rotten because that dude, that dude sucks. And he's been terrible. And McGovern too. They've sucks. they've been awful. And then those are what bring the offensive line down. But again, when two of the five have definitely been good, and then Moses yeah. has been okay, he'll kind of flip flat, flip flop back and forth between a guy you're happy with and a guy you're not happy with. I, I think they've overall been decent enough for the offense to work again, like it did versus the Bengals. And yep. it did versus the Colts in most of that game that I, I'm not going to crush them because we saw them be so much better as a unit when the quarterback under center knew to get rid of the football. Like yep. McGovern and Van Roten stink. I'm not excusing their play because it's been horrible. They haven't been good enough. Jokes. But the comments early in the year about Wilson holding on to the ball too long, as much as they have, you can't make those comments about a rookie quarterback. Mm-hmm. They, It's not wrong. He was no. sitting in the pocket way too long. Or escape and holding off for the football way too yeah. long because that he refused that. to do his reads. He refused to go through his reads. But again, we'll talk about you, Wilson. You hope those are both guys like Wilson. We talked about Becton. Those are guys that are using the time off from their injuries to watch veterans who know what to do, learn from that. Because there's no question they're more talented than the guys who are on the field now. So if you take that and you're motivated the right way and you learn the right way with the talent they already have, they can both be stars. Heck yeah, bro! And uh. Did you did you give an actual grade? I know you said it's in that that B range, C plus range. What what was the actual grade, if you don't mind? I'll go. B, I said B minus to C plus. I'll go B minus because I think Ooh. you're going to be a little harsher on them. I think you're going to go into the C range. So I'll give yeah. them the B minus. I'm going to give them a hard hard C here, hard C. And the only reason they get a C is because I like Vera Tucker in the long term. I think Fant has been unbelievable. I mean, he is he has statistically been one of the top 10 left tackles in football this year. So you got to give some respect when it's due. And, I mean, I like Moses over at right tackle. I think he's good for this line as a veteran. Outside of that, I hate McGovern. I can't stand Van Rotten. I need that guy, like, I don't even know. They, they could they could blast him in the space. That'll be still too close for me to have him here. Listen, but, you and I talked <laughs> about it. I Whenever uh, Laurent Duvernay-Tardif is ready to go, let's get, get him, him in, in there. there. Absolutely. And, and – Hey, by the end of the year, the offensive line grade may get itself up to like a B. I mean, who knows? Because like you said, Duvernay Tardif comes in. All of a sudden, maybe that helps McGovern get a little more consistent. Maybe it helps but... Moses look better. Maybe Beckton comes <laughs> back strong. Or maybe Fanton, when he's at right tackle, looks better. You're right. There, there's room for improvement for this offensive line. Exactly, bro. And I mean, at the end of the day, it's all about keeping the quarterback upright and making holes for these running backs. And I want to get to those running backs real quick because they have been a revelation over the last two weeks in terms of the uh, passing game. You're getting Michael Carter out here having 170-plus yard games. You're having, you know, Ty Johnson start to develop into a guy who who you can rely on in the passing game. And also both guys are doing their thing in the run game, even though they're not getting these holes most of the time opened up for them and they're having to make plays out of the backfield in terms of getting hit and then, you know, getting back to the line of scrimmage. 
So you got to give him a little bit of credit there. And I really am here. And I'm going to start this one off with a grade and I'm going to give these running backs a B plus so far. It's my, uh, it's my highest offensive grade. I will say that just straight off with a shoot here. And I think they deserve it. They've looked really, really good throughout the season and they've just been getting better and better. And I think it's going to continue down the stretch. I'm with you for the most part. My grade's a little bit lower than yours. It's a B, uh, but I love what I've seen from uh, most of these running backs. I love Michael Carter. You know me, I'm a big college football guy. Watching him at UNC in that backfield with Javante Williams. Love the two of them. For the Jets to be able to get him in the fourth round, I thought he might go a little earlier. You're just seeing it. He's When there's a hole that opens up, he knows how to run through it. He takes what's available. He's a hard-nosed, aggressive runner, keeps the shoulder down, and just gets yards. If there's only two yards there – He'll get those two yards and fight for a third and a fourth. And he's a good player catching passes out of the backfield. The way I look at Michael Carter is he's not going to be a superstar back or maybe a bell cow or anything. And he might not be great at anything, but I think he's good at everything. And he's a guy you absolutely want to have part of a tandem in the backfield. And Ty Johnson has shown you that he's definitely carved out a role for himself He's definitely a guy, again, you want as part of a backfield. You might like to add one more guy into that mix, and Tevin Coleman's been hurt. But I've been really impressed with Michael Carter and Ty Johnson. He's had some bad moments. The fumble against the Colts did not help. He's had some drops. But overall, for a guy who was a waiver pickup for them a couple years ago, or last year, he's been a very good player and better than I think you could have expected from either of them in the early going. Absolutely. And I mean, that's part of it. When you're when you're looking at these guys specifically, you have to look where they're coming from. And, you know, Carter is a you know third round pick. And you look at, like you said, Ty Johnson coming off the waiver wire. These are guys that you don't have huge expectations for, but yet they're both completely over exceeding them. And they're looking really good doing it. And Michael Carter specifically, I think that's a dude who yeah, you said it. You want him around as long as you can have him because he can do every single thing you want. And he'll get better in the blocking game. He'll get better breaking. You know, he'll just get stronger. So he'll break more tackles. He'll hit holes a little harder as he gets more confident. And I think his run game is going to continue to just develop and get better and better. But this is a dude, man. I said it earlier. He already has a game of over 170 yards. I mean, he's he's on a good path right now if he continues this way. End of the year, we might be looking at him and saying, you know what, go out and get a guy who can play behind him. And this offense is going to be moving the ball at, you know, maybe not at will, but they'll have a running game that can do it for him if the QB is uh, still in question. Right. And they finish fixing the line. Like, again, I expected this from Michael Carter eventually. I just don't know if I expected it to happen this quickly. And he's gotten better. I mean, from week one to now week nine, he's gotten better every single week. And he's just showing you flashes that he can be a really good player in this league for a while. I've been so impressed with Michael Carter. And again, he's done it with an offensive line that, as we said, has been up and down. Sometimes the running lanes aren't there. They weren't there early on in the season. It's been a little bit better as of late. And with a quarterback running the offense, this has hurt both Carter and Johnson early on. I mean, the way Mike White was checking down to them and hitting them, we saw in so many of these games earlier in the year, and even back when Tevin Coleman was playing, that these guys were open on the checkdowns. Think yep. of the yards that Carter and Johnson and Coleman could have had the first five, six weeks of the season Scared. if Zach Wilson was capable of getting them the football and checking down on first and 10, getting those four or five yards with your running back at minimum. Cause you see what happens when guys like Carter and Johnson get the balls 
in their hand. I mean, that touchdown Ty Johnson had against the Bengals last week, tiptoeing down the sideline. That's by getting the ball and doing something when he has the opportunity. When the quarterback, whether it's White or whether it's Wilson moving forward, get these guys the ball. And if the running game isn't there, use them in the short passing game because they've both shown you that they can get the job done. They just need the ball in their hands and a little bit of space, and they'll create something. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, if you're looking at any any skill position group on the scene, or you're looking at both skill position groups on the team because the tight end position don't really matter for the Jets organization. So we're not even going to grade that. Just a heads up, guys, because apparently they don't either. So we're going to uh, look at the position groups in terms of skill positions. And you got running back, you got wide receiver. And running back is definitely outshining wide receiver, in my opinion, so far. And, I mean, dude, Corey Davis, you signed big money in the offseason. He's been good at times. He's had flashes, but he has also had moments where you really question if he's a number one in this league for sure. I mean, I have my questions on that. Mims saga throughout the year, more not getting involved a ton to start the year. Keelan Cole now, now getting out there doing his thing. What says you, Fleegs, about this Jets wide receiver crew and their kind of start and stop and stop and go kind of season so far? Yeah, so I agree. The running backs have definitely been the more impressive of the skill groups. I had the running backs at a B. I have the receivers a little bit below that with a B minus. Uh, but again, I think they've been a little bit better than they get credit for. I think Corey Davis has been what people who have watched him expected him to be. He's a good player. He's not a number one. He's not a great player. But, you know, he was a, a good solution for a team that needed a guy like him right now. They needed the big body. They needed the talent. They needed to bring in somebody who could play on the outside. He is more of a number two. The guy who really boosts the grade for me, even though he's only come on in the last couple of weeks, is Elijah Moore. I loved him coming out of Ole Miss. I was thrilled the Jets were able to get him at the start of the second round. thought when they traded up for AVT – that that pick was out because I thought he would go at the end of the first round. I think Elijah Moore is a future stud in this league. And you're seeing right now, since Mike White took over, and then even Josh Johnson, get this kid to football, and he makes plays happen. I love Elijah Moore. He inflates the grade for me a little bit. Cole's been good. You're seeing the last couple weeks. Throw him the ball. Like, they have a lot of dependable guys. They don't have that superstar Mm -hmm. yet. Maybe more becomes that. Maybe they add another guy to play alongside with him because you're right. Corey Davis is not that number one guy, nope. but they have five or so dependable guys, even Barrios if you need him for a couple snaps a game. Not somebody you hate having out there. I'd like to see them get Mims a little bit more involved. I know he had the two drops against the Colts. A lot of people are ready to give up on him. I think Rust is part of it. And again, he's not a perfect player. When you're a bad team and the Jets are a bad team, yep. get those young players on the field. Find out for sure what you have in Denzel Mims. Maybe he's a guy coming from that Baylor offense where it's going to take a little bit longer for it to click. One thing I know is we saw him make plays last year and we saw him catch the ball last year. So yep. maybe the rust this year, why the drops are all of a sudden there. And one thing I have seen from him this year, when he gets the ball in his hands, he makes plays. He can make those catches 15, 20 or so yards down the field. And when Zach Wilson comes back, eventually he's going to start targeting those plays 15 to 20 yards down the field. That's where he likes to look with the football. So I think if this offense is going to be what the Jets want it to be, Denzel Mims is going to have to be a part of that. So I don't want them to give up on him. And the good thing is while you're mixing him in, 
you can rely on all these other guys. And then we got to mention Crabb, who's just as reliable as they come in the NFL. Stud. Just stud. Uh, you want to have around. I'd love for them to find a way to get more into his slot position a little bit more. But Jamison Crowder is just a guy you want to have around. Like, I'm surprised he wasn't traded. You look at some of these yep. teams around the league, watching the Chiefs, they could use a dependable extra wide receiver like Jamison Crowder. The Packers could use an extra wide receiver like Jamison Crowder. There are so many teams around the league that can use a guy like Crowder who knows how to get open and catches anything that's thrown to him. I think that's- a lot of teams underrate that, and they shouldn't because it's extremely valuable. No, absolutely. He's a guy who, I mean, you saw with Sam Darnold throughout his time here, he was he was his number one choice because he was just a safety blanket who would catch the ball, and if you got it to him, there was a chance that he could break out, you know, another 10 yards on an RAC. But, I mean, overall, this off this wide receiver group, man, I've been really disappointed with them. I mean, and part of it is to do with the quarterback play. And you can't overlook that, but when Elijah Moore wasn't getting really involved early on, I had questions on what the heck's going on there. I mean, obviously the Mims scenario has been killing me and you because this is just like, this is a dude who we drafted in the second round who showed us flashes throughout last season, who all of a sudden he doesn't know how to play wide receiver. I mean, that was kind of a shock to everybody. And now he's starting to get his moment and you said it and I've said it, I said it the last episode in the post game. Didn't look too good for him against Indy. But you give him one more, you give him a couple more tries out here. The rest of the season is what it is. You're not making moves right now. You're going to see what you got, and you have to do that. And yeah, that's I why can't I can't write a young player off after one bad yeah. game. I just, I can't. Exactly. Talent is there. You got to see for sure what you have. I just, the wide receivers, it's one of the things, like I said with LaFleur, going back and watching the tape and as annoyed as we were with them early in the season, rewatching some of these games. I'm looking at them and like, all right, these guys got open. They got separation. Yep. That's that's all they can do. Davis had a couple drops early in the year, but then he also had some really nice catches, and that's what he is. He's a guy who's up and down. The rest yep. of these guys, I think they've done their job. They've gotten open, and that's why you've seen when Mike White was in the game and even Josh Johnson, the wide receivers didn't all of a sudden get a lot better. The quarterback play got better. So I think the wide receivers are now being able or able to show – the good work they've been putting in because the quarterbacks are finding them. Absolutely. Absolutely, bro. In the last two weeks, it's the same thing with Mike LaFleur. These wide receivers have benefited greatly in terms of the eye of the public, I feel like, and just for themselves as well. They've gotten much better games out of themselves with Mike White and Josh Johnson in there. But this is the first position group we're going to agree on, bro, because you hit them with the B minus. I'm giving them a B minus as well. You have to look at them going forward. There's a lot more to prove here. Obviously, same thing to go. Same thing with the running back grade. This grade can get higher as we continue to go through the year. But right now, you look at them. Elijah Moore starting to get involved in the offense. I'm a little disappointed. Crowder is still here personally because I wanted to see more get those slot reps. But it is what it is. They're getting him involved either way. So that's all you can ask for. And I'm sure Crowder as the season goes on and more kind of just continues to break out. He'll kind of fall back a little bit in terms of his reps, but you know, he is a good guy to have around. He's a veteran in that room. He is pretty much the only veteran in, in that room. So you, you keep him around, get these young guys a little bit. The, the security blanket aspect of it. I wonder if that played a big role to them, knowing that they don't have the tight end that Crowder. No. Not that he's a tight end. He's a big guy, but no, I know get open on third downs. Crowder kind of fills that role 
in a way that nobody else on the team can rely on just yet. Yeah, and and again, when we get to Joe Douglas, we could talk about – we'll talk about the tight end all day when we get to Joe Douglas because, man, to have this offense and not have a tight end in it is mind-blowing to me. But we got to keep moving. We got to keep moving, and we got to talk about that quarterback position because this is is where this – I mean, this is like a filet mignon right here. You know, you head over to Luger's. This is what you're waiting for right here. A little ribeye. Bring it out. A nice little potato on the side. Oof, oof. The bacon start you off. Oh, oh man. I'm getting hungry here, man. I'm getting real hungry here. Oof, oof. I'm having myself a steak tonight. That's, that's what I'm doing. But talking about this QB position, coming into the year, Zach Wilson's the dude. He still is the dude. Let's be honest. I mean, people are trying to throw Mike White out there as, you know, a potentially right now guy. Like, no, he has to do insane stuff at, from this point forward in order to get himself in a place where he's beaten Zach Wilson out for this job. So take that thought, throw it in the garbage for right now. Zach Wilson, through the first couple of weeks, looked terrible, though. And we were putting it on Mike LaFleur. But Mike White comes in, and this is why the questions are happening. And the team looked competent. Looked more than competent, actually. It looked good offensively. Josh Johnson comes in. And granted, it's garbage time because the Colts are up by 30. But still... To go out there and put up 20 points, that's not that's not just something that they're giving you. You're going out there and you're getting that. You all oh, their starters were still in and they were still rushing the passer. They, exactly. The Colts were still playing that game. Yep, no doubt, no doubt. And then, I mean, we're sitting here now and we have serious questions about our quarterback, quote-unquote, of the future. Um, I mean, personally, I'm, I'm just shocked by the way this has gone and – if we're being completely honest about the quarterback play and we're not just grading Zach Wilson, this quarterback group gets a C in my book. But if we're just grading Zach Wilson personally, or not personally, because that's, that's kind of messed up, but on the field, I'm giving him a D and I, I can't really see any other way to look at that, especially when you see what Mike White and Josh Johnson have been able to do. I'm with you. I mean, the quarterback is the one position on this team you have to split up. Like, I gave them overall, I think you said C. I have C+. I'm giving Wilson a C-. minus. But then if you're going to grade Mike White, how are you giving him anything but an A+. Plus? And then I'm giving Josh Johnson an A. So Absolutely. it all a little bit. And the grade, again, still only a C+, plus because Wilson has played more games. But Zach Wilson is just a guy who, and I'll be honest, I did not love him coming out of BYU. I saw the talent. I understood all that. I wondered how he was going to adjust in the NFL and it didn't happen for him right away. And he showed you not only is it not happening right away, but it might take a while with this guy. And that's why I think the best thing that could have happened to the jets is for him to have an injury. That's probably not serious and it gets him off the field. And now Mike white is in a situation where listen, I'm, I'm not one of the fans that's getting too excited about Mike white and thinking he's the quarterback of the future. He's not, but he can absolutely be the quarterback for the next month or so four or five games whatever it is and Zach Wilson let him sit let him watch let him learn let him come in at the end of the year maybe have a couple games get him back under his belt and then go into next year the adjustment just it wasn't there for him right away and it's even more you know when you talk about the offensive system like it's one of the reasons I bump up the floor because there was so much talk about the Jets not having a veteran backup if they had one of those veteran backups who people 
respected a little bit more, they would have just said, oh, well, this guy, you know, a Joe Flacco type. Joe Flacco knows how to play. You know, not that big a deal that he's playing well in that system. Because it's Mike White, who nobody really knew anything about. Nobody's seen, nobody, again, there's nothing there. Because it's him doing it, one, it shows you that the system is good. And two, a thing that I'll give Wilson credit for is we have seen the flashes of the talent, the deep throws, some of the plays against the Titans that he made and winning them that game. Mm-hmm. Zach Wilson has all of the talent to be an NFL quarterback. He just has to learn more of the mindset. And, I mean, Salah said at the beginning of the year, we need him to play boring football. Maybe not the best choice of words because people took it and ran with it, but we got what he meant. Use the exactly. check down, take the shorter throws, and if you do that, it will open up everything else downfield as it has the last couple of weeks. And you would just hope that Zach Wilson, you know, it's one thing to be told this is what to do. Now that he's watching it and he's seeing someone else run that offense the exact way that it's supposed to be run. And then you just say, okay, Zach, now you take over and you do this the way it's supposed to be done. Plus with the talent that you have that very few other people on this earth have. Yep. Then we'll really be clicking and we'll really be rolling. So I'm not, I'm not giving up on Zach Wilson yet. And I'm not anointing Mike White the starter long term or anything. I think all of that is a little crazy of an overreaction, even with how good he's looked. But I think he's somebody that, if he's healthy, he starts against the Bills and you start him for a little bit moving forward, maybe until the team is mathematically eliminated. You want to give Zach three or four games at the end of the year. I'm totally fine with that. But for right now, I think if he approaches it the right way, watching Mike White can only help him. Absolutely. I mean, I was listening to uh, Robert Sala on the pregame for, I believe it was the Bengals game. And he was talking about how he was hoping that Zach would go out there or, you know, watch the game with an open mind. And I think that Wilson, he's a little bit tentative when it comes to throwing that short ball, just because he wants to make the big play because he knows he can and he sees himself doing it. And he's like, why not? But imagine how scary this offense would be with Zach Wilson's ability to throw that deep ball if he was just able to keep these corners up because they have to be true and play those running backs, or he keeps guys in the zone because he's hitting those short little five-yard out, nice little five-yard hook. If he does those things, these deep routes are going to be open like crazy. And this offense is going to be like, I can understand why they love Zach Wilson, because in this offense, if he's able to run it properly, it's going to be an absolute just field day out there like we're talking Chiefs type offense you know not Patrick Mahomes but a Chiefs style of offense where we're going to be running up and down the field and we're going to be built off of massive plays because the defense has to respect us all over the in terms of our entire offense yeah you talk about a top 10 or five offense in the league which is what they have their sights set on being and you're seeing in the floor system how that could all come together if the quarterback figures it out and they're going to have to continue building the roster and getting better players, but the foundation is there. If the quarterback just figures it out and you're right about the solid comment about it with an open mind. Cause I know you said this to me like a week or two ago that you got the sense that they were frustrated with Zach Wilson. And I agree that they kind of were a little bit because he wasn't really adjusting fully and taking those short throws. And in one game in the Falcons game, he tried it early he missed him. He threw incomplete just because he made bad throws. Yep. And then he got away from it because it's almost like he just went back to what's comfortable for him, which is looking down the field and throwing the deep throws. 
And then the offense started to click a little bit in the second half when I'm sure they talked to him at halftime and said, listen, Zach, you got to go back to the game plan. You got to go back to our strategy. So I'm sure that frustrated them when he went off script and started to ignore what the coaches were telling him. Yep. I get it. Whereas a young player, he kind of reverted back to his instincts and what he, what has worked for him his entire football career. They're gonna, He's going to have to find that balance because again, if he can nail the little things, the big plays will be there and he has the ability to hit them time and time again. It's, it's all there for them, for him. He just has to piece it together. And with the Mike White situation, you can keep Mike White in for now and then wait to go back to Wilson. Once you go back to Zach Wilson, that's it. Zach Wilson is then the quarterback until you decide maybe within a couple of years, you know, he's not the guy or you would then hope he is for a long time. You can't go back to Zach Wilson against the Bills or the Dolphins. And then if he struggles again, pivot back to Mike White. So that's going to be the decision the coaching staff makes is waiting until the right moment to bring Zach Wilson onto the field. And it's going to have more to do with what he shows them in practice than anything you see from Mike White on the field in the actual games. I agree a thousand percent on uh, Wilson coming back later on in the year. I mean, if you bring him back next weekend against the Bills, and I t- I said it earlier, that nine to six loss to Jacksonville today, they're going to be ears back trying to make some things happen. So you don't want him in that game, especially, I mean, listen, we, we said the O-line's getting better. There's still questions there. This is the best defensive line in football That's the Bills have, arguably. That's not the yeah. game. Not just any rookie, a rookie quarterback coming off an injury. That's yep. not the game I need him coming back in for. No, <laughs> exactly. I mean, and we spoke about this too. I mean, when we talked about Wilson potentially, you know, missing some times, what's a soft little place for him to come in. And I think we both agreed on Jacksonville at home. It's a nice little place. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're able to go up against a defense that did pretty good against Josh Allen today, but a team that overall hasn't been too impressive throughout the year. And I think that would be a shot. You get him out there right before you play Tampa, you play Buffalo to end the season and you see what he's got. But if you get him out there before then you need to make damn sure that he's ready to play, bro. I absolutely agree with you there. Yeah, I I think what makes the most sense is either that Jacksonville game or Miami the week before you give Mike white a couple of games and you bring Zach Wilson back for the final four and you kind of let him take what he learns there and roll into the offseason, and hopefully they can just continue to develop him, and hopefully he can continue to learn from what he saw from Mike White. Absolutely, brother. Absolutely, man. And, you know, just to kind of wrap up the offensive side of the ball real quick, overall grade for the offense. Overall grade for the offense, and it's going to sound weird because I've given them, like, we had a B in there, like some higher grades. I think it's a B minus being a little generous. And again, I know a lot of Jets fans are going to think that's nuts because of how bad they were early on, but I'm pinning so much of that on the quarterback. So if I'm grading everybody else as a collective unit, I'm giving them the B minus and looking at what everybody has done since Zach Wilson went out. I mean, he dragged the grade for the rest of this team down drastically. What the offense we saw in the Colts game and the Bengals game that's an offense every Jets fan would have been happy with every year of their entire lives. And they would be getting afraid probably in the A range. I'm giving them a B minus. I could live with a C plus, but I'm going to be generous to them because it's really just Zach Wilson that's responsible. I'm not going to fault everybody else on the entire offense, except for maybe Van Roten and McGovern. The rest of these guys, I think so many of them have done their jobs. No, I, I mean, honestly, dude, you're absolutely right. When you look at what this offense has looked like without Wilson and, 
I mean, that's kind of <laughs> that was kind of supposed to be the point of the whole season was Zach Wilson and him getting good and him getting better. But when you look at how the offense ran without him, you're absolutely right, bro. It's an it's an A. It's a legitimate hard A. Like you can't point out too many things that they've done wrong over the last couple of weeks outside of missing a couple of blocks or whatever here and there. Right. And but, tipped interceptions off deflections. All oh, right. God. Yeah. I mean, I've seen enough of those this year, though, in general, bro. But I mean, I'm sure we'll see a bunch more. <laughs> um, but yeah, dude, I got to give them. I'm a little harsher. I'm giving them a C plus uh, just because, I mean, those early season struggles, not scoring in the first, I mean, barely scoring in the first half in general and not scoring in the first quarter through six games. That really turned me off. That just made me look at them and, and just kind of wonder what the hell is going on here. And for Mike White to come in and be the first dude to score in the first quarter, that, I mean, that doesn't take away from the grade. That more so just speaks about how bad this offense was with Zach Wilson. And it's a really scary thought to have, man. It really is. But we talked about those QBs. We got into them. We laid that out. We, uh, I mean, yeah, we talked about Zach coming back a little later on because he's still figuring out that offense. And, I think that's a that's a good point. We got to keep it like that. We got to keep it like this right now. We got to see what this offense can actually do with a quarterback that can run it. And until Zach can run it, I mean, you keep him getting healthier and healthier on the sideline and just let him grow because otherwise you're just stunting his growth and making him look bad and making his offense look bad too at the same time. I mean, listen, if Mike White was so great that he played the rest of the year and Zach Wilson came back onto the field in 2022 – is it going to stunt his development? No, I don't think so. Cause we've seen enough quarterbacks sit and come in and play that second year that it's not going to hurt him. So the only thing that can hurt Zach Wilson is coming back in now before he's ready. Until yep. he's ready, keep him on the sideline, holding the clipboard and watching Mike white. I think it's pretty simple for the jets. Yep. You don't need him to look like trash again, because once that happens, then the confidence can be shot. Then the confidence of the fans in him is going to be shot. And I mean, right. you've heard of the that life if he comes in after a good Mike White game and throws two first half picks and the offense can't score. Yeah, like Not- there's a universe where where Mike White plays a good game versus Buffalo next Sunday, and then Zach Wilson still starts against Miami the next week and they lose. You know what I mean? And that crowd is not going to be happy about that. Dude, if that happens, we're coming back and giving every coach, everybody involved, F minus on F. <laughs> <laughs> because that'll be the biggest decision they've made and it washes away any good they might've done at any point in the year. That's how bad that would have been. Absolutely, bro. I'm sorry, man. My, my guy is going a little crazy right now, but uh, <laughs> I wanted to get on to a group that we've been disgusted with the last couple of weeks and an overall group that we thought was going to be the reliable people on this team coming into the year. And that's the defense, man. And let's start out with Ulbrich real quick. Because he has the one-year experience, but this is really his first year as a coach. How do you think he's been rolling through so far as his first round with Robert Sala's D.C. over here? I'm giving him a C. I think he's been more or less what I expected. Obviously, the Patriots game and the Colts game were terrible. But other than that, I mean, the defense with the amount of youth they're putting out there and talent level that's just really not good enough to be a good competitive team in the NFL – I can't put a lot of that on the defensive coordinator. I just don't think they're that good. Again, some of the stuff that's happened, especially in the Colts game, the lack of adjustments, that's all been really concerning. Uh, But I'm going to pin probably more of that, and we'll get to him on the head coach. The defense coordinator, I'll give him a C because, like, as bad as the defensive line has been, 
I think I've been that if we're going to crush him for that, I have to give him credit for the young players in the secondary showing some development, showing some improvement. So I'm giving Ulbrich a C. That's fair. I'm going with a C as well. I mean, again, you don't know how much he's really doing in terms of the defense with Salah being there, but they looked really good through the first couple of weeks. The last, obviously, two out of three games, the Pats and Indy, those were brutal. And those were, I mean, those were terrible, terrible games to have on tape as a defensive coordinator, as a defensive player, as a team. But he hasn't been bad. And I don't dislike him. I think he's doing his job. At the end of the day, I think he's doing his job in what, you know, Robert Sala wants him to kind of do in his, his theory of how to play defense. But, I mean, it's got to be better. At the end of the day, if Ulbrich wants to be here next year, it's got to be better down the stretch because he's going to be the dude who takes the blame for these two games when it's all said and done. They're not going to fire Sala after one year. Ulbrich's going to be the first guy to go, and Sala's going to take over that defensive role first right, before and, anything and happens. Ulbrich, if Sala's fighting for Ulbrich to be kept, it's telling you that a lot of the defensive struggles are on Sala, which is what yep. I think a lot of us – suspect and that's why we're not going to crush Ulbrich and give him as bad of a grade because I think when you look at a defense that it's Robert Sala is a defensive coach he was a defensive coordinator coming over him a lot of the struggles from a coaching aspect of the defense I'm going to pin that more on the head coach because I still get the sense that this is his defense he's he's more of a head coach overseeing the entire operation than some of the last few guys the Jets have had but I still think this is his defense and some of the struggles I'm pinning on him more than Ulbrich. Absolutely. And, I mean, yeah, we're going to get to Salah so we can really get into him in a couple minutes, but that's just that's just my thoughts on him, man. Ulbrich, he's good. He, know, he, knows, he knows how to be a coach in this league. He knows how to be a coordinator. But you just have to – it has to happen. Because, if, like I said, if it doesn't, this organization is going to put the blame on him, and he's going to probably be the pound of flesh, especially with how good LaFleur has been looking over the last couple of weeks because – Early in the year, you would have said, okay, LaFleur will be gone. That's the guy that they'll use as the punching bag. And now that's completely shifted, completely shifted. And I, I like Ulbrich. I want him to be around, but we'll see what happens with him. And, I mean, a microcosm for this defense, it's not him. It's that defensive line. And they started out the year like, I mean, I was really excited for this defensive line, the way they were playing. And then coming out of the bye week, you're expecting – all right, now we're going to take off. Now it's going to be that next uh, next evolution of the defense. Nope, the defensive line takes 15 steps back. Not even one step, not two steps, not three, 15 steps back. And they look absolutely terrible. Overall now, my grade for them for the season is a C plus. And that's really gotten harmed by times where they haven't been able to get at quarterbacks, where they've been able to mask it by quitting getting a sack or John Franklin Myers getting a sack. But now, when you're not getting that happening, you're not even getting quarterback pressures, really. It's hard for me to look at this defensive line as doing anything. And when they don't go, this defense doesn't go. So I'm a little bit harsher on them. I'm giving them that C+. I'm giving them an even harsher grade than you are. I'm giving there them we a go. C-. To me, they've been the most disappointing group on the entire team because it's a team that's filled with youth and inexperience and then maybe guys who aren't talented enough to compete at this level in the kind of roles they're being asked to. I can excuse a lot of some other guys at other positions for that. I can't do that with the defensive line. 
wanted to give him a little bit of slack and did early on because they lost Carl Lawson, their best player in that unit. And I'm sure that had a huge impact and it still is. But, you know, after he got paid, John Franklin Myers has kind of disappeared a little bit. Yep, has been up and down. And this is a guy who very soon is going to want to get paid as one of the top defensive linemen in the league, former number three overall pick. And again, he's shown you flashes of that, but he hasn't been good enough consistently to earn that paycheck and to earn the kind of reputation that we thought at the end of last year, a Quinn Williams might finally be developing into that guy. And again, maybe he looks better with Carl Lawson next to him, but it hasn't been there consistently enough from Quinn and Williams. And then some of the other guys, Rankin's been okay. Maybe a little bit of a disappointment. Shaq Lawson just been okay, but that's exactly what I expected from him. If you followed his career, you know, he's just, that's what he is. He's a suitable replacement player, right? He's a guy to have around. Foley Fadakasi has been what I expected, but he's a run stuffer. He's not going to rush the passer. Nathan Shepard is an absolute disgrace. I don't understand why. I don't understand why he's still part of this rotation when they have so many other guys. And Nathan Shepard, the best thing I can say about him is he's played a couple games in a row without committing a back-breaking penalty. So congratulations, <laughs> Nathan Shepard. This unit as a whole, because of Franklin Myers and Quinnen Williams and the veterans they have with Rankins and Lawson, even though they might not be the most talented guys out there, I need them to be better and smarter. Some, that Colts game, somebody has to step up and say, hey, this is what they're doing to us. We have to do something to stop it. If it's not coming from the coaches, it has to come from some of those players. And because they are the one unit – with veterans pretty much across the board, they're the ones that have that responsibility. And that's why I'm harsher on them than anybody else on the team. Absolutely. And they're the one unit on this team that's actually, I mean, you could you could really look at them and say that overall, top to bottom, they should be an NFL unit. And I don't think you could say that about too many defensive groups right. on this I mean, team. You saw them in the Titans game, they pretty much won the team a game when they played yeah. that great game against the Tennessee Titans. Where has that been after that? Or not even just yeah. where has that exactly been? We haven't seen anything close to that. What happened against the uh, the Patriots and the Colts especially, I mean, that looked like Alabama running against uh, an FCS team, and they don't even belong on the same field with them. That's what Jonathan Taylor and the Colts line did to the Jets on Thursday night. Dude, legitimately. And, I mean, when you look at the actual – when you look at the Pats game, I was sitting there and I was legitimately – I said to myself, I was like, this is a college game where it just got completely out of hand. Like, this is Alabama taking on, you know, Vanderbilt on the road or something, where Vandy can put up a couple of points, but nothing crazy, and they end up getting blown out by 40. I was like, damn, man, this is a legit NFL game I just sat through. And the D-line is, I mean, they're not the only culprit. God knows that. But they were big-time no-shows in that game, big-time no-shows against Indy. And if this defense wants to get anything done, like, they're really going to need them to show up because – and I'm going to, I'm going to, we'll get back to the linebackers real quick because I want to touch those DBs that we were talking about. If this D line isn't going to play good, these DBs are going to be terrible. And because they're young and they're learning the position. And so far, these last couple of weeks, they've looked every bit the rookies that they didn't really look come uh, the first couple of weeks of the season, especially Bryce Hall, who, I mean, he's been playing that number one corner over the past couple of weeks, but until they really put him up in these press coverage situations more consistently and he proves that he can win them, I mean, it's tough for me to take him truly as a number one. And then the safety position, I mean, I'm not a big fan of Ashton Davis and Marcus May, I don't think he has a future here. But 
you look at this secondary as a whole, I'm not sure exactly what we're doing here because I don't think Eccles is a dude who starts for us going forward. Michael Carter's a stud, but Bryce Hall on the outside. I mean, this secondary, I gave them a, a grade of a C. And when I only when I look at it and I see, okay, maybe there's two guys that we're going to keep around and continue to develop, like it kind of makes me wonder why there wasn't more effort put into the cornerback position and why there aren't more veterans there on this team. No, I get it. I gave him a little bit of a better grade. I went with a B minus. I mean, listen, it's it's a simple thing in football. If you don't have a pass rush, even if you have great defensive backs, they're going to get exposed. And the Jets are running a bunch of young kids out there. They were going into this year with two experienced players in the secondary, both at safety. LaMarcus Joyner, he's gone immediately. Marcus May missed a little time early, and now he's gone for the rest of the year. So they're just running a bunch of kids out there with little to no NFL experience. And some teams, like when they played the Patriots, a coach like Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels, an offensive mind like Frank Reich when they played the Colts. Good teams are going to be able to exploit that. I think they have found a player in Bryce Hall. Maybe he's not ready to be a number one guy just yet, but I think he's definitely a number two outside corner. And I think he can still develop into that role as a number one guy. Brandon Eccles, maybe not a starter, but showing that he's, he's definitely an NFL caliber player. And Michael Carter, I agree with you. He's looked like he's a stud at times. I've never been the biggest Marcus May fan. I think a lot of flashy plays have made Jets fans overrate him. And you saw it with the trade deadline. The reports were that nobody was offering anything more than a fourth-round pick to the Jets for Marcus May. Marcus May probably can't believe that. I think before he got hurt, Marcus May was in for a huge dose of reality when he got to the open market and found out that the contract that he was offended the Jets offered him is pretty similar to what all these other teams that were interested in him were going to offer him. If not better. changes now because – right, if the Jets' offer wasn't better. His situation obviously now changes because of the injury – And this is one position that I'm not going to blame the players for it. It's an approach the team took going into the year. Listen, we know we're not going to be a good team. We're going to let all the young players play. And then we're going to see who we like moving forward. And then they're going to sprinkle in the veterans next year at cornerback and decide, you know, what they want to do with Hall, what they want to do with Eccles. It was a big gamble. At times it's worked. Most of the times it hasn't. But I understand what they're doing. And it's why I'm not going to knock the players great so much because you've, now you've got all rookies and second-year players out there. And I think Ashley Davis has been a little bit better than he gets credit for. Safety is a weird position, almost like corner, where we have to watch these guys on the plays where we don't see them on the field just as much, if not more, than the plays we see them on the field. Like Marcus May is always making plays and tackles because Marcus May is getting beat coverage. Ashley <laughs> Davis, sometimes maybe he's not making the play on the ball because he did what he was supposed to do in his responsibility – and the play then went away from him. So he's, I think he's been, again, is he a superstar player? No. Is he an NFL caliber starter? If you have a good safety next to him and you have legitimate corners, yeah, I think you can live with Ashton Davis out there. Yeah. No, I, I could see your point there for sure. I mean, he ain't a superstar, and I don't think there is any superstars in the secondary uh, right he, now. He was a third-round pick. I, maybe yeah. people are just crazier with him because it was part of the Leonard Williams trade, but – He's been solid for what you expect to get in the third round. And, again, he's battled injuries in his short time in the league. And, again, this this group is so young, and that was their plan this year. Roll out the young guys outside of May and Joyner, who, of course, are both gone because that's the Jets' luck. And let's see what we have in these guys. 
and then we'll address them more in the draft and free agency going into next year. But for right now, you know, instead of signing borderline, you know, replacement level veterans just to fill these starting roles and what maybe you win an extra game or two because of that, we're going to see what these kids can do. And even if they struggle, they're going to learn on the job. Bryce Hall is probably learning a lot covering the kind of guys he's had to cover this year. Uh, that's got, I mean, that's definitely true. And I mean, for me personally, I just look at having bringing in the veterans. It's more so to have a guy there just to just a dude in the room who has the knowledge, who's been around the league a little bit. And I mean, the secondary doesn't have that, unfortunately, because it's the Jets and LaMarcus Joyner and Marcus Mayer both done for the year. But this defense, they really go at the linebacker position, and that's where their veterans are. That's where their leaders are. And specifically, I'm talking C.J. Mosley here, a dude that I personally love on this team, and I would love to see him here for a while. I mean, granted, he's probably going to be because he has a lot of money. So <laughs> we'll probably be seeing him at least another year. But, I mean, C.J. Mosley is a dude who could start on every team in this league. And there's not a single person on the Jets other than him that you could say that about. And his leadership, it's 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 there. I mean, the Colts game, listen, that was a just beating. That was That was out to the back of the shed, and that's all you're doing. But every other game that he's been a part of, this defense has looked completely there, has looked completely in it. And, I mean, Jared Davis back, Quincy Williams has been a complete revelation throughout the year, although he's starting to come back down to earth now. And, I mean, listen, the Pats game, I don't even – I'm not going to take a shot at Jamie and Sherwood because he's done for the year and he deserves a lot better as a kid who, you know, obviously his first opportunity to get stuck out there in that game. It's not right. right. But, I hope we all feel being the starter and being the Mike linebacker going up against <laughs> the greatest coach in the history of the sport. Yeah, and a great anybody, offensive coordinator. I don't think anybody's looking forward to that opportunity. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And now, you know, hopefully he's back. Hopefully he's back and gets another shot next year. That's all I'm going to say. I hope the best for him. But overall, this linebacker. that the poor, that the kid got hurt in that game, and now he's going to miss the rest of the year. Because like you said, he deserved it. Exactly. In that game, like, Dan, that's his tape. You know what I mean? That's the tape that people are going to look at for him. But overall, like I was going to say, linebackers, I'm giving a decent grade to. I mean, outside of that Jamie and Sherwood performance, they've been pretty good. And I'm going to give him an overall a B-plus for the season, although it hasn't been great in coverage and there have been moments – I think the leadership out of Mosley and Quincy Williams and him looking like a tag team back there for a couple of weeks. I think that's enough to get them up to the B plus for me. I'm a little bit lower than that. I'm going to be minus for him, but that's the kind of grade that, you know, I'm, I'm, it's a little bit of a curve just because Mosley or Davis wasn't there most of the year. Mosley's missed some time. So I'm grading kind of what we saw from them rather than what they could be or could have been if Mosley and Davis were out there every single game. I mean, Mosley, you saw the impact of losing him in the Patriots game. He's the quarterback of the defense. You need him out there. You need his brain out there. He's probably not the same player physically that he was a couple of years ago with the Ravens, or even when he first came to the Jets for that one beautiful half of football before he got hurt against the Bills week one of 2019. He was yeah. all over the place making plays. But you've seen the impact that he has, and you saw the impact that a guy like Jared Davis can have when he came in against the Bengals. The Colts game, again, I pin it more in the defensive line than the linebackers, and I wonder, and we'll get to coaching, talk about this, I thought the Colts game was one where I would have liked to see a guy like Quincy Williams mixed in a little bit more because Mosley, one, 
Can he physically go five days later the way he would have been earlier in his career? And Jared Davis coming into this, playing his first two games of the season on a Sunday and the following Thursday, it just looked to me like two players who were physically gassed, maybe not ready to go in the same way. And I look at coaching as, well, they could have said, said, let's offset this a little bit by involving Quincy Williams more. Quincy was a stud early on in the year. He was a bright spot. He flashed a little bit. Again, come back to earth, came back to earth, like you said. He's an okay player. He's part of a rotation. And then the depth at linebacker, some of it was just okay, but amazing to lose Sherwood. Now Nasser Dean is back. Hopefully he can give you something later in the year. Cashman's gone. So even the guys that were expected to be their depth pieces are gone. I mean, they've, they've really been hit by injuries, this team, and it makes grading some of the individual players, and it makes their evaluations of some of these players moving forward. It's going to be really tough. I, I, nobody envies the job that Joe Douglas has and that Robert Sala has moving forward. No, absolutely not. And before we get to those two guys right there, because everybody, I, I mean, uh, me personally, I don't know about everybody, but I'm going to speak for everybody because that's what I do. Everybody can't wait to hear what we think about them. But real quick, let's get that defensive grade. I'm Overall. giving them a C+. Again, C plus? Uh, yeah, because they've looked okay. Again, the two out of the last three games have been really bad. Um, I'm writing off the Patriots game. The veterans weren't there. You're playing against Bill Belichick. He just exploited inexperience. And again, you're playing the best coach of all time against players that don't know what they're supposed to be doing and haven't been out there before. Yeah, yep. he's going to take advantage of that. And because it's Bill Belichick against the Jets, he kept going where if it was another team, he might have stopped. Not that there's anything wrong with running up the score in the pros. You're yeah. a professional on the field. Do a better job of stopping it. But – are we reacting to that game the same way if the Patriots stop a little early and don't score 50? I think we are. The real game for the defense where I have to crush them is the Colts game, and I'm putting it more on the defensive line more than anything. The defense overall, again, I just – I don't know what people expected. It was always a defense to me that when the defensive line plays really well, they'll have a shot. If the defensive line isn't playing very well and, again, at a very high level, they have no chance in the world. And that's Absolutely. what we've seen. Absolutely. Front seven for this defense is the strong point. And you gave him a C plus. I, I'm, hey, this is the second time now we're going to be in lockstep here. I'm on the C plus here for the defense because, I mean, listen, before the bye week, I would have given them a solid, you know, B, maybe even B plus. But now, the, I mean, listen, and you said it, the Pats game, that's a mulligan. But that indie game, there really weren't any excuses for that to happen that way especially with the defensive line that you have, the players that you have in the linebacking group. I mean, there was just no reason for you to give up 45 points and over 500 yards of offense to the Colts who, I mean, listen, Jonathan Taylor's a dog out there, but Carson Wentz has looked, I mean, he's not doing crazy things. He hasn't been throwing for 400 yards. He hasn't been throwing for 300 yards. He hasn't been looking insane. He's just, he's just a guy. He's just Carson Wentz. And, to let him go out there and cut you up like he was, you know, Tom Brady in the day, you know, completing a ridiculous percentage of passes against us. It's just, that's too much. That's too bad of a taste. And it's the second time this year that the defense got completely dogged out. And the first one can always be a mulligan. The second one, you can't have that. So that right there, that brings that grade down to the C plus for me. And that D line, like you said, bro, has to be way, way better going throughout the rest of the year. And you guys at home right now, you might be sitting there saying, 
the hell are these two talking about? You know, these guys out of their damn minds. I don't agree with the damn thing Fleeks Azu was saying. Hit us up on the Twitter machine. Let us know what you think about it, man. Get at us on there. I'm at Zubeard77. Fleeks, what you got for him on there? I'm at M Fleegelman. It's M-F-L-I-E-G-E-L-M-A-N. I took, I did a WFAN show this morning calling out the Giants and Giants fans went after me. So let's see the Jets fans do it. But again, you know, I, I think most Jets fans are accepting of the reality that the team is in. Like nobody, nobody's going to get mad at Jets fans for crushing the defense because, or the defensive line, especially because they've been disappointed. It's just, no, absolutely. it's what it is. They, they, even without Carl Lawson, huge loss, they have to be better than what they've shown the last few weeks. Have to no. Be. Without a doubt, without a doubt. I get Carl Lawson missing, and I guess – I mean, not I guess. I get that he was going to be a big part of this defense, but there's no excuse when you pay John Franklin Myers the way you did for him to become a ghost man. And dude, that's just where we are right now. John Franklin Myers is the ghost man. But, I mean, coming into this year, bro, we had a lot of hope, a lot of hype, a lot of happiness because we got a coach – that you and I both, and I'm sure most of the people listening to this podcast believed was the dude for the job and was going to come in and set a culture in here. And if nothing else, this team was going to compete defensively through eight, uh, nine games. Oh, shoot. Sorry, bro. Uh, <laughs> through nine games, man. My bad. What do you think about Robert Sala's performance here, man? Because I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit disappointed through the start of the season, if I'm being completely honest. A little bit disappointed, but not shocked. I mean, I'm giving him a C. It's my grade. You know, the the defense has obviously not been as good as you would have wanted, but the, the Jets situation is so complicated where I'm wondering how much of that is coaching and how much of that is just the talent level that they had. I mean, the Jets are pretty much building from the ground up. We'll get into that in more detail when we get to Douglas, but you know, how much of this can Sala really control? Like we saw him with the Niners. The guy knows defense. Does he have the players yet? I mean, I, I, just, I can't tell what the problem is there, whether it's the coaching or whether it's just the players. The one game where I look at and say maybe the coaching is the Colts game because I remember last year the Bills and Niners played a Monday night game. And the Niners – or excuse me, the Bills, after the first drive, they stall. They get stopped at the one-yard line. Second drive, Josh Allen fumbles first play. After that, they have six consecutive scoring drives, four touchdowns, two field goals, 34 points. And I remember on the broadcast, Lewis Riddick and Brian Greasy just going after Robert Solomon saying, why are you not adjusting? Why are you not adjusting? You're running the same zone. And Josh Allen is picking it apart. Mm -hmm. And I had a little flashback to that, watching them against the Colts on Thursday night and wondering – why isn't Robert Sala adjusting? Why isn't the defense doing anything different? They just seem to be lining up the same way and just accepting the fact that the Colts are going to run all over them. So yep. that's been concerning with Sala, the lack of in-game adjustments. One thing I have to give him credit for, you know, he hired LaFleur. Maybe they shouldn't have started Zach Wilson right away, but then this will be more of a Joe Douglas thing. If you're Robert Sala and Mike LaFleur, can you really with confidence start Mike White to begin your season? and expect not to get crushed for that. Yeah. Don't you kind of have to put Zach Wilson out there. So I don't think Salah has been great. There have been some things I do not like, but I wonder how much of it is really within his control. And one thing I'll give him is, or two things. One, the little things like clock management and stuff like that, that Jets coaches have been botching forever. 
<laughs> I haven't seen the cases yet where he completely doesn't understand how the clock works uh, or how math works and going for two and stuff like that. And the other thing, and maybe this is a small thing, but from where the Jets were, I think this matters. The Todd Bowles, Adam Gase, Eric Jets, that game against the Colts on Thursday night, they lose that game 45 to 10, 45 to 13. Absolutely. The Jets team kept playing and kept fighting and tried to scratch and claw their way back in the game. And listen, if Josh Johnson, that ball's not tipped, if they score a touchdown there at the end of the game, they were a miracle onside kick away from having the ball down by a touchdown. Not saying Crazy, they right? Everything, but listen, they gave themselves a chance where the Colts had to actually acknowledge that the game wasn't over. That fight hasn't been there from a Jets team in a long time. And I think the players respect this coach. I think they play for him. And that stuff matters. It, it really yeah. shouldn't because you're professional athletes. You should be playing every game no matter what. But we know that's not how it is. I think the Jets respect Salah. And again, I think there are elements of a good coach there. There's some stuff he absolutely has to work on, but the Titans win and Bengals win are impressive. And they've played pretty well at home overall, especially lately, that there's some stuff I like from the coach. Hasn't been exactly what I was hoping for, but there's some stuff I like. I think that's a C. I think that's a pretty fair grade. I mean, I'm I'm giving him a C minus, so slightly lower. But the reasoning for me, and you you hit it on the head with uh, talking about Greasy and Riddick talking, uh, getting in on him last year during the game against the Bills. He is a, his adjustments they either come too late, or he waits until the half every single time. Uh, it's just. It's really hard for me sometimes when I'm sitting there and I'm watching the same thing happen over and over again in the first half and his team isn't, you know, for whatever reason it is, whether it be, you know, the the offense isn't moving anything, the defense is getting beat up like they did on Thursday. There's just no changes. It's the same thing over and over again. And I guess the offense you could kind of put on the floor, but when you're being a, a head coach the way Salah is and trying to be that CEO, you know, like leader of the group, it's it does come upon you. It is your job. And he wants that responsibility. I'm giving it to him. And I think those the lack of adjustments, the lack of coming out ready to play, that's stuff that I can't look past with him. And although I lo- I love Robert Sala, I was so happy when they hired him. And I think as a dude, as a coach, he is the perfect guy for this job. But I think he's kind of getting away from what got him this job. And that's being energetic. That's being, you know, an X's and O's guy and being a dude who is getting players fired up no matter what throughout the entire game. And you see him too many times once the game starts to get out of hand, you know, early on, especially where he's sitting there with a a stank look on his face and he's just pissed off. And it's like, okay, I get it. I get it. You're, you just gave up, you know, a third touchdown. You haven't scored yet. This is, you know, the fourth straight game this has happened. But you have to you have to get the guys going. That's why you're here. You're a motivator. That's Robert Sala. He is a motivator. He's not, he's not Bill Belichick. And that's what I liked about him. And I haven't seen him be that guy yet. And I'm hoping. Well, I saw it against Cincinnati. He's done it against the Bengals and the Titans, and the team responded to it. So you're right. We need to see it more. And the yep. adjustments you talked about, like we saw them against the Falcons. They were much better in the second half until the last drive. And again, a really good quarterback picked apart an inexperienced secondary. Absolutely. The adjustments were there in week one against the Panthers. 
and against the Patriots in week two. So they have made adjustments. It just seems that in the last couple of weeks, after the bye especially, when things have started to unravel, he's kind of let the game get away from him. And I would hope that's something that, again, that's that's fixable. Robert Sala yeah. can work on that, and he can change that. And let's hope he does. Yeah, he's not doing anything right now that's, you know, un, uncorrectable or that is so out of this world that he should be fired. Like, I don't think Robert Sala should be fired. Now, listen, we're coming out of the bye in two out of three games. We've given up over 45 points and 500 yards. If that happens every other game the rest of the season, yeah, he's going to be out of town. And everybody on his coaching staff outside of maybe LaFleur will be gone. But I don't think that's going to happen. And I think Salah, I think he's going to step up a little more in terms of being involved in the defense. And not to say Ulbrich is doing a bad job because it's not his fault. But I just think Salah needs to be a little bit more involved there right now so that they can make sure that they get all the kinks out because that's where his expertise is. When you have him on the staff, he has to be involved. And plus, I think it'll get him back into that mindset of, okay, let's get these guys going. Let's get it from the start. Just like you got to be that motivating personality because when he's getting going versus the Titans versus the Bengals, this team is up and they are ready to play and the crowd is into it. And that, that's the guy that Joe Douglas hired. And I mean, let's get into Joe Douglas because dude, <laughs> between you and me, I'm not very happy with what this, what this dude did over the off season. I mean, the drafts have been mediocre at best. They're starting to get better as we're seeing guys play actually, but dude, I'm very disappointed in terms of how he constructed this team and what we're looking at so far this season. I'm actually – I'm higher on Joe Douglas than you are. I think one thing we have to acknowledge is with eight years of drafting almost nothing of consequence from 2012 to 2019, the Jets were in a situation that very few, if any, NFL teams find themselves in. And Joe Douglas not only took over the bad roster, but he took it over after the draft and after free agency because the Jets are the Jets. And he took over a team with a head coach who had no business being a head coach in the NFL. There's nothing you can really point to when Joe Douglas took over the Jets and said, yeah, this is something you want on a team moving forward. Because I don't include Jamal Adams in that. And I'm thrilled he traded Jamal Adams. And that trade's already looking like a win because Vera Tucker is a good player and they still have more picks coming. Oh, yeah. So I, I try to then just – I think you have to look at Douglas a little bit differently. A again, they, they had to finally break this down and build it back up again. They couldn't keep throwing money – a little patchwork solutions to fix problems. They had to go back to square one. I think Douglas acknowledged that and he did that and I'm okay with it. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of growing pains. There's some stuff that really bothers you to see as a Jets fan, but I see the path they have laid out for their future with the picks and the cap space they have coming up. And again, the free agency stuff, there's one move that I really think he could have made that I'll get to in a second but some of them, like the ones he did make, this defense probably looks a lot different with Carl Lawson there and with Lamarcus yeah. Joyner there. Like he did make moves for guys who we were happy about. They got hurt. And again, when you're a team like them, who he inherited a team where you could have cut almost everybody who he inherited and not felt bad about, they still have some of these pieces as depth. Like a guy like Nathan Shepard is still there because you can't get rid of all 53 guys in two years. It's just not possible. So they're still dealing with that. They're still dealing 
with the Le'Veon Bell contract. And some of the, as much as I like CJ Mosley getting paid way too much money, like they have that contract on the books. They're still digging out of the hole that he was put in by the previous two general managers. So I'm not going to fault him on a lot of it. 2020 draft mixed bag right now. But again, I'm not giving up on Becton because of one bad half of football. Let me see what happens when he gets back on the field. I want to see Denzel Mims get more involved, not giving up on him after a bad game. I don't understand what the coaching staff really is doing with him, but I know the kid is talented and I want to see him play more. 2021 draft. Again, Wilson has the talent. We'll see if he figures it out. After that, I love Elijah Vera Tucker. I love Elijah Moore. I love Michael Carter. So right now I'm giving Joe Douglas good grades for the 2021 draft. Uh, I like that they didn't have a veteran backup because I didn't think they're always necessary. Depends on the guy. Because okay. Mike White right now looks like a guy who you're happy with as your backup quarterback. His trades have been good. His waiver wire pickups have been good. He has made some moves that weren't great. I'm acknowledging those. His biggest mistake to me was this year not replacing one of Van Roten or McGovern on the offensive line. If you can live with one of those guys, he had to replace the other with just some kind of steady veteran. And you're seeing now that he seems to understand that and he's admitting that because he went out and got uh, – so I think you're seeing Douglas kind of acknowledge that Van Roten keeping him was a mistake. Yeah, no, absolutely, bro. Van Roten, I mean, and maybe he's just the crux of everything with me and my anger with this team right now, but he is terrible. I don't know how you look at him, especially last year. He wasn't very good. McGovern wasn't very good. I mean, McGovern had more better. He had more games where he was good than Van Roten, but still. Neither of them were world beaters or setting anything on fire out there. I mean, I guess they were because they were that bad. But at the same time, to not look at them and to look at them and not think that they needed to be improved at those positions, that really that left a I didn't like that coming into the year. I didn't I didn't think they were good at those positions, and it's obviously showing right now. Yeah. And, and I think Roan is worse than McGovern. I know absolutely. they thought team change would help him. It hasn't, and that's why if they get another right guard in there, like we could see what if McGovern all of a sudden looks a little bit better, the communication is better. We've seen – you remember, uh, you know, 2011, the Wayne, uh, Wayne Hunter era, or what a what a one terrible offensive lineman can do and the impact that it can have on a team. Like yeah, it's no, just, absolutely. It's, it's a killer, and I think Van Roten is that guy right now. And he might be, and I hope – I mean, I don't hope he is because I, I I feel like I know he is. But at the same time, the dude is still there. And this is a problem we, we were talking about earlier. Uh, we haven't talked about it since. We didn't, even, we didn't even acknowledge this group as a position on this team because there is no relevant tight end on this team. Ryan Griffin will catch a pass and maybe block a bunch, but they're getting beat up a bunch. They don't have a dude who can be a safety net for Zach or Mike White or Josh Johnson, that's a tight end. And that's a it's another terrible job because you look at the offensive system that's coming in. That's an offensive system that is run pretty much with the tight end and almost exclusively with a good tight end. You have somebody who can play. I mean, you're not going to get George Kittle. You're not going to necessarily get like Austin Hooper out of it, but or even like but you might get Bob Tanya. And that's a dude who I mean, Aaron Rodgers is working with, and unfortunately he gets hurt up in Green Bay this year, but he's having solid seasons the last two years. You have a guy like that on this roster, it makes things easier for your quarterback 
makes the thing easier for your offensive line, your tackles who were struggling really early on. And not doing that, not having either of those positions upgraded, it just it really hurt this offense and took them a step back, in my opinion. And I was somebody who was disappointed by them not having a veteran quarterback on this roster. So that affects my grade with Joe Douglas a little bit. And when I look at them all together, all these decisions and Carl Lawson is, I mean, we can't say it's good or bad signing it because we haven't really seen him out there, but I do like it. And you're right. He has made some good draft picks. They're starting to play. So we're starting to actually see them get things going. But when I look at, when I look at Marcus May not getting traded, when I look at Jameson Crowder not getting traded, I think those are two things that I'm also a little bit disappointed with as well. You could have gotten a couple more picks in, especially since you sent one out for Flacco. Not that I'm broken up about that, because honestly, I'm not one of these people that's like living and dying with six round picks. It sucks that you gave it up, but Flacco's not stepping on the field, so that's not becoming a fifth rounder. So yeah, I don't whatever. Think that's a big deal. The thing with May is exactly. tough because as much as I would have been willing to trade him, I get why they would have thought, you know what, having the veteran presence is worth more than a late fourth round pick. I think That's if the true. offer was there for May, or if the offer was there for Crowder especially, I think those guys would have been dealt. I just don't yeah. think teams – and May, I get why other teams might realize he's not worth it. <laughs> Crowder is someone that some other teams should have realized you could really use Jamison Crowder. Absolutely. Absolutely. And he would have been a dude who we could have probably netted a fourth or a third or even a fifth for. And, I mean, that would have been perfect because then you get Elijah Moore out there more, but – end of the day it didn't happen so i'm giving joe douglas overall offseason and in-season moves for this year so far he's gonna get a c minus real harsh on my book i I just i feel you know what i hope the young players play a little bit better and you see by the end of the year you're bumping that grade up like i'm totally with you on the offensive line right guard and not addressing that the tight ends even though he gets hurt a lot I think they thought Crofts could be that guy, and we've seen him play well when he's actually on the field. True. And, again, just it, it's such a tough spot for him because when you're Joe Douglas and you took over this team, really it's only the second offseason that he's running it, you had to replace everything, including coach, including quarterback, including the run. You had to overhaul the entire roster. There was nothing that was there that you wanted to keep. So, yeah, every year one or two positions are going to fall by the wayside because you can't overhaul an entire roster in that short time span. And there That's wasn't right. really a tight end that they thought was worth getting out there that was available this offseason that's so much better than a Croft. What I will say is that, like, this offseason, with the guys available potentially in free agency and the draft, this offseason, they better enter 2022, that week one, that training camp, that preseason, all of it, with a tight end that we feel pretty good about. That's when I'll judge the tight end position. That's That's got to be something that's addressed this upcoming offseason. Yeah, there's no excuses coming into next year for this team to not be significantly better and make significant moves in terms of just beefing up this offensive line and that tight end position. And, I mean, listen, bro, we're, we're almost halfway through the year. I think it's about time we give them an overall grade, man. We went through every position. We went through position by position. We hit Douglas. We gave Salah a little bit of, uh, you know, tongue lashing as well. Now I think it's about time we put that all together and see what it adds up to. What do you got? All right. Well, first of all, it's funny that we're now the halfway point has to either be after eight or nine games because the NFL (laughs) stupidly has an odd number of games in its schedule in a season. My grade for the Jets overall, 
I was debating going between a C and a C plus. I'm going to give them a C plus just because, and I know a lot of people might say that's it's, it's crazy. My expectations for this team were that they were going to win five or six games. And they still look like a team to me that because of the way the schedule opens up later in the year is going to win five to six games. You know, if we revisit this at the end of the year and they lost to the Texans and the Jaguars and the Dolphins a couple of times and teams like that, then I'll be changing my tune. But right now they look more or less close to the kind of team I thought they would be. I, maybe my grade is higher because my expectations were lower. This year was about, again, continuing to build, looking towards that future. Next year to me was always the year where they have to make the jump to being around 500 and hanging around for a playoff spot late in the year. That was always next year. It was never going to happen this year. The talent was just not there. They're too far away. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I look at this team overall right now, and I got to give them a C, and I'm I'm wanting to say a C minus, but I'm listening to you throughout the episode, and I'm I'm hearing you out, and you got you got really, I mean, where you got salient points right there at the end. Uh, the next year is the year where things really need to take off for this team, and they need to make the proper moves this off season to do so. But right now, where they are, it's not it's not perfect for me. It's not where I really want them to be at this point in the year. I mean, I get it. Listen, I saw them as a six win team, seven win team as well, but being here and now we have to win those games that we looked at and we said, okay, these are winnable games. There's only a couple of them on the schedule and you have to get them if you're going to get to that record. So unfortunately I feel like this season could end up being a real disappointment in that case, but if you're able to just look better down the stretch here, that grade will vastly improve. Like there's no reason my grade, there's no reason for my grade to get up to a B by the end of the season. You know what I mean? And there's a full, a lot of room for that to happen. So if these guys come out and they're able to do it down the stretch and maybe, you know what we see Laurent Duvernay Tardif get out there and start playing well. I mean, this is, this is good stuff and this team will get better. I just, right now I'm very disappointed with, where we are because I thought that I would like the coaching staff a lot better. I thought that I would like Douglas a lot better. And I thought that I would like Wilson a hell of a lot better. And the fact that he's not looking so good is kind of what's killing the grade for me, because if he isn't good, if he can't run this offense, when it's all said and done, and I mean, we all kind of feel like he is going to be able to get there, but if for some reason he can't figure this out, I mean, that's going to be a really disastrous thing. And uh, well, it's going to cost them a waste. To get their jobs. Douglas, oh, yeah. all going to be if, if Zach Wilson's not the guy, they're all going to be gone, and we're going to be starting over again, which is what no Jet fan wants to see. I mean, listen, I'm also disappointed with where they are, but then I try to be realistic about it and go back and say, like, you know what? Had you asked Joe Douglas when he took over the team in 2019, hey, you want this Jets roster you're inheriting, or do you want to do an expansion draft? I feel like Joe Douglas and every other GM would have said, yeah, let's do the expansion draft. That's how <laughs> bad the Jets were. They were an awful football team with an awful roster, awful, awful culture. Just everything about them was so bad that it's going. it was always going to take a while to get out of that properly. I thought it was like a four-year window to really competing for you know playoffs and beyond. No, They're no. on year two of that right now where you're seeing – well, the growing pains are still there and some of the bad stuff is still there. You are seeing 
the glimmers of hope and the reasons for hope. And so much of it comes down to Zach Wilson, because if they were two and six, but he had a game like Mike White had, or if he had maybe one more game like he had against the Titans, I think people would feel much better about him overall. In the end, it's the quarterback in the NFL. It's mostly going to come down to Wilson. I just think there's enough there for by the end of this year and into next year for them to be that team that you see as a team on the rise. Not ready yet, but a team that's definitely on the rise. Amen. Amen, brother. Yo, appreciate you popping on, man. And one last thing before I let you go. Well, how do you, what do you think the final record is for this team on the season? Give us a little prediction. Final record for this team. I'm going to say they are, I'm going to say they're six and 11. They're going to win three out of four of the two Dolphins matchups, the Texans and the Jaguars. They'll win three of those and they'll surprise us once again, winning a game we don't expect with some of the better teams like the Saints and the Bucks, some of the teams they have at home. They'll surprise us with one more really good win. We'll be disappointed when they lose to that whatever game that is, the Dolphins or the Texans or the Jaguars. We'll be disappointed when they lose one of those, but they'll give us one more really good home win this year. All right, bro. I like it. I like the confidence there, man, and I'm, I'm with you. And just to put it on the record, I'll throw it out there. I'm going with 6-11 and 11 as well. Not a cop-out. That's not a cop-out pick, I swear. But – I appreciate you coming on, man. I really do. It was fun having you. And, uh, yo, man, I don't want to make you commit to anything too early, bro. But after we get past that week 18, and remember, people, it is week 18. I'm not just crazy again. Once we get past that week 18, you want to hop back on here? We'll discuss this season as a whole since, I mean, listen, they could make the playoffs, but odds are, I mean, week 18 is the last week for us. (laughs) Yeah, week 18 will be the last week unless Mike White really is Tom Brady. Spoiler alert, he won't be. Uh, yeah, I'd be happy to. Might not be happy about what we're talking about because it's the Jets. And as we all know, they find a way to make us feel pain. But yeah, I'd be happy to. Always a blast talking Jets and anything with you, Big Zoo. I can't wait for us to be back together at WFN to give the full Eternals breakdown and talk about the MCU. We won't do that here, I know. But the next time I see you at 345 Hudson Street, we'll be sitting around and screaming about the Marvel movies as we always do. Oh, hell and- yeah, bro. Hell yeah, man. I mean, and listen, everybody out there, the reviews are what they are. The movie was solid. It's not the best MCU movie, but it was very enjoyable. Go check it out if you're into the Marvel Universe. Um, dude, but please, man, appreciate it, bro, so much. And I will catch you uh, later on this week, right in the fan. Always a blast talking with you, Big Zoo. Talk to you later, Thanks, brother. Talk to you later on. But, yo, guys, with that being done, with all that being said, I want to thank Mike Fliegelman for coming on tonight. Uh, thank you guys for listening. And as always, hit us up on the Twitter machine at Zubeard77. You can hit Fleegs up on the Twitter at mfliegelman. And please, please, please hit that subscribe. Leave that five-star comment and review. Appreciate it. You know what it is, people. It's time for me to jet on out of here. Until next time. I must bid you adieu. Peace.